Hey there, and welcome back to another bonus episode of the Clarity Podcast. We have the phenomenal opportunity today um, to sit down on the first of a two-part series with uh, a new friend, Terrell uh, Trace Carter. He told me that his his mom and the government call him Terrell, but we could call him Trace. And so we have a very transparent conversation. I wanted to have this conversation um, with Trace just because I think it highlights a few things. One, many of us are living overseas, and we do not understand the realities of what's going on um, in the States. Trace is a small business owner. Um, he's, he's a pastor. He's working in that environment and how what the impact looked like that. And uh, many of us, whether we're living and working as business's mission, whether we're leading a church on the continent or whatever we're, our ministry is doing, what we have known and realized is, is things are changing and we're not going to be able to go back to the way that things were. And I think that's the value of this uh, COVID bonus episode podcast, first part, two-part series, Trace is going to weave in a biblical story and then alongside the story of his life from the time he's growing up and then to high school and then to college and then um, from his days chasing down um, Bertie Madoff um, working for J.P. Morgan and then for Discover building teams and developing those teams to, to beginning to open his salon, um, Venus and Mars, and, and the journey that God has brought him on and the, the miraculous story that it is of how God's saved him and he's God's using him. He's Trace is highly intelligent. That becomes very evident. Um, he's v- super creative and uh, very insightful and biblically based. And so I think that's the value of the this episode and the following one. Many You'll find many points of value. But just to give you an idea to hear someone's story as they're pivoting, as Trace will in the next episode will be open, more open and honest and transparent in the sense that he's going to share what's going on in his life as of February 13, what happened. And I think think that's the story that many of us can identify with, that priorities are set in place, things are, are shifting and changing, and then how are we responding, or is popular work going around, how do we pivot? And uh, Trace is modeling that, and uh, we I appreciate him, I appreciate his insight, like I said, super intelligent, very insightful, very wise, very well read. Um, he's, he's, it's very, very insightful interview. Um, this one and next one. So today's Wednesday, this one will launch it in the next one will launch Friday. And these are part of the COVID bonus episodes, just to give you an insight of, of one individual, how God is using them and using the, his story, um, in this time of COVID. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings. It's great to be back on the Clarity Podcast today. Um, podcast today, we're going to be talking about um, growing and life and mission and um, providing clarity in the mix of ambiguity. I have the great honor today to be sitting down with a new friend, um, Terrell Carter. And Terrell, could you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience for those who might not know you and um, share as much or as little you like about yourself and your family? Dude, first off, thank you so much for being all the way across the world right now. <laughs> and like, I'm just, it's still amazing. Like, I know I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. That's the first part about who I am. My name's Trace Carter. You've called me Terrell. Trace is my name. Terrell's my government name. So, you know, usually my mother is calling me Terrell or I'm in trouble, <laughs> you know. All right. <laughs> uh, but Trace is fine. Uh, I, I would, they would call a multi-hyphenate artist. Um, creating music, brand development. I'm a hair artist. I uh, have had a salon here in Columbus for the past two years Um, in Gahanna. That's one of the uh, busiest yet thriving areas in central Ohio. Um, Les Wexner 
one of the wealthiest men. I think he's still the wealthiest man in Ohio. Yeah. Um, he lives in New Albany. So my salon is right on that border between his city and wow. Gahanna, another. So, and it's, and it's like against all odds too, because we're talking one of the wealthiest portions of Columbus outside of downtown, maybe. And, you know, a young boy from some of the poorest parts of Columbus yeah. is, is leading a business in that arena, man. So like, that's, that's who I am, dude. I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, you, you interviewed my pastor, Greg Ford, a while back. And uh, it just being with a guy like him, he speaks highly of you, dude. So I'm excited, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. And your wife is fabulous. I, before we could jump on the call, I, you're, she is fabulous as far as communication and connection. And um, she's a blessing. Come on, and, man. Uh, we, we, That's what, when you, uh, guys, we appreciate, appreciate her. So we need to thank her also. So, hey, when you jumped in, you tell us a little about um, your growing up. You said you grew up in one of the poorest areas. Um, what did you like to do when you were growing up as a kid? And what were some influential things that obviously you said that you shared about your business and uh, ministry? Mm -hmm. What led you down that path in your growing up years? Mm -hmm. So to give you the right lens to look through growing up, there was no ministry aspect of my life. Hmm. So I grew up in, at least by practice, a non-Christian household. You know, my grandparents and, you know, they went to church and very infrequently I would go on the big holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter, but never really had a lifestyle of following Jesus, God. It was just whatever my lusts and passions say are my gods. Those are the ones I'm serving, you know, <sighs> and that was just the culture of my home. Single mother, um, three kids, three different fathers. Um, so, I mean, just a tight spot out the gate because my mother was she had my sister when she was 19 and me and my sister are 18 months apart hmm. so actually you know the the fight for my life began in that moment dude where my my mother at 20 years old already had a kid and now i have the news of a second kid with a different man and i'm already struggling with my first you know <laughs> We can make this easier yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And dude, like this was one of those moments. I have a song, man, that I'll have to send to you. It's called Can't Imagine Life. Mm -hmm. And it's because me and my mother has been open about this and we've talked about it. We've processed it. Um, and we made a song together about it, a spoken word, where from her perspective, I was able to tell the story of almost being aborted. And the whole premise is like, she wouldn't, she couldn't imagine life if she let mine be taken, hmm. you know, and, and like, we just walked through that. It's beautiful. But, but that's, that's the origins of who I was. My mother had recently watched her mother, uh, cheat on her dad, leave that marriage and marry another man in town, like hmm. right around this time while my mother was a teenager. Yeah. So my mother had to be a mother of her home before she had kids. Cause she had two younger brothers and now she had her father who's devastated. So she's like the only domesticated one. So my mother's been mothering since about 12, 13 years old. Wow. Um, then has obviously those two kids. I have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So by the time my mother was 23 years old, she's a single mom in the 90s in a very troubled and like urban context. Gunshots every night. 
you know, drug deals around the corner. Cause at the time, I mean, it's all she could afford really. Um, obviously wasn't by choice and you're subjected to the schooling districts in that arena. So like, and again, this is just a, a town in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know how that relates to where you are, yeah. but I'm sure there's some similarities with those pockets where if I had my choice, I wouldn't be here. But since I am here, it comes with something. But one thing my mother, even though my mother never externally practiced like Christian discipline, mm-hmm. like um, I looking back now, having found the faith uh, and, and doing my best to live with this great book's like calls me to, I look back at some of my mother's character and realize the things that my grandparents and aunties and uncles were depositing in my mother. Hmm. She knew about them. She knew them. And, and you could see it in practice. She just could never really put the words around it and, or teach somebody else to do it. Like I never saw my mother never smoked in the house. My mother never kept alcohol in the house and my mother drank. Mm-hmm. But she she was just so intentional about trying to shield her kids hmm. from even if she was battling with some of the things, she still wanted her kids protected from it. Dude, I didn't know we were poor until I got in my 20s. <laughs> 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 I didn't know. I didn't. I'm going to tell you, actually, this is when I real. So I didn't know that I was poor as a kid until I had. to. Oh, so just for context. When I was 25 years old, dude, Mm. which was five years ago, um, my mother, who I love so much, who will unpack a few things back in the childhood, literally passed away in my arms Mm. when I was 25 years old. Mm. And I say that with a smile on my face because, um, because God is amazing with how he walks us through those moments. And when you realize, like, I believe it's in First Peter where Peter's talking and he's saying, listen, there's a great joy set before us, but there will be a fiery trial that you have to endure for a little while. Hmm. But be of good cheer because that fire is testing your faith, purifying your faith the same way that it purifies gold. Hmm. And, and like, if you really just stare at that, I love to stare at the, the text, dude. Yeah. Like I, I begin to personify gold, like gold. If it was a person would realize that I need the fire. Hmm. If I don't, no matter how hot it is, how uncomfortable it makes me, if I don't get the fire, my full value will not be realized. Hmm. So I, I almost look for the fire. Yeah. Like, I get cozy in the fire because the more fire that I go through, the more refined I get, the more yeah. precious I become. And when, like, when I, when I got that revelation, dude, as it relates to my walk with God and the things that he would allow, you know, are to make me hmm. like being potter, like being, him being a potter, me being clay. Sometimes you have to, you have to just, get it I, I me and my wife have gone to if you've never done this man it will change your perspective you go and you sit down at, at this clay table and it's spinning and and you're trying to mold it and like when you like if it, especially if it's not working with you it's not doing what you want it to do as the potter yeah. it's like uh instead of even trying to like fix it I, we just got to start over <laughs> like, and like but but now look at imagine your life like that the times yeah. where <laughs> 
yeah. God was trying to mold us and it just wasn't going right. He's like, you know what? We got to kind of start over, you know, <laughs> for a lot of people, for a lot of people right now, COVID might feel like a, uh, <laughs> my yeah. life is being balled up right now. Yeah. But I've, I've learned to look at those moments, like when my mother was dying and some of those experiences growing up now that I'm going through counseling, trying to unpack 30 years of unresolved traumatic experiences yeah. and how they are influencing my decisions and my processes, you yeah. know, um, like that real, real goal doesn't fear fire. Hmm. That's my mantra. That's awesome. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned COVID and um, the, the process. That's a great illustration. And that's one thing. Um, some of the people have, that, that I'm friends with, they had heard, they loved your spoken word. And uh, they were, they had taught, told me you're, that's, you're phenomenal in that arena. And uh, so in this time of COVID, what are you, you're obviously a creative, creative person. Um, you just Google your name and that's what pops up. And uh, so what <laughs> in this time of, you said it's challenging, it's, it feels like maybe the, everything's all balled up again. What, what areas are you growing in? What um, things do you see on the, in the future um, that you get, that you're excited about? Oh my goodness, man. So I, I, I feel like, I mean, if you're okay with it, dude, I want to start with a story, dude. Yeah. Two stories actually that literally changed the way that I stepped into COVID. Yeah. Right. Um, the first one, because I own a hair salon here in, in, in Columbus, it's inside of like a suite. Mm -hmm. So I have about a thousand square foot, but it's a mist, you know, a dozen other, you know, 100, 200, 300 square foot boutique beauty related services, right? So it's, we had, we, we received as Corona un, unfolded, it was probably the week of Rudy, Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. the NBA superstar. When his news went live, that's when everybody started taking it seriously. That, if you notice, NCAA, NCAA canceled March Madness after that. Yeah. Everything went downhill when that announcement. So, as our city, as our state begins to lock down, our governor announces that salons, massage parlors have to close. And it's indefinite. So for a lot of people, especially salon owners, or even just uh, self-employed stylists, because there's a difference between being a business owner and being self-employed, but that's yeah. a whole nother discussion. Like these, these women, they show up, they've built a life around doing hair behind the chair. And literally, I'm talking three, four days announcement, you have to shut down the only stream of incomes for a lot of these women had. And the night we had to be out, dude, it's 11.50. At midnight is where, because in this facility, we won't have access to our salon. Like the entire facility has to shut down. So we had to take things out. We didn't know how long it was gonna be. Back then it was like, is it two weeks? Yeah. It's been almost eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's been almost eight weeks. So like there was a woman, dude, my suite is in the back of the building, like tucked away. Almost like you have to be, cause there, there is an exit door, but you either have to be going to the trash can or you suspicious. There's no other reason <laughs> to be back here. Like, so it's 1150. And, you know, I kind of hear somebody outside of my room because I'm preparing. I'm grabbing everything that I think might be valuable um, back at home because I don't know how long and I won't have access. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Yeah. So I'm gathering stuff. 
and I hear some some festering outside of my my room, and I go out there, and there is I kid you not, a middle aged white woman, forties. She had just left her full time job with all her benefits probably three or four months earlier, like in at the end of 2019, because mm-hmm. she was pursuing her dreams. She's you know bottled it in for so long. She's worked this job that she's hated for so long. You know what? I'm doing what I'm passionate about. I'm going back and I'm getting behind the chair. She had just started in the salon, bro. February. So she had one month and then COVID happened, bro. So I don't know. She had to quit her job. uh, Like everything that she had to invest mentally, financially, emotionally into a move just to get started. And literally Three, with three days notice, bro, she's literally outside of my door having a panic attack, bro. Hmm. Like, I'm dead serious. Like, like staring at me, like gasping for air, trying to find the words. And the only thing she can articulate, dude, is what am I going to do? Hmm. What are you going to do? She's asking me, what are you going to do? What are we? <laughs> I just want to lay here. There's a bench. There's a bench outside, bro. This is a grown woman. Makeup yeah. on. Like, like literally broken. Like yeah. she's like, and I, I spent about an hour with her dude. And mm. this is where like, I love what I do, man, because being, uh, being able to carry my faith everywhere that I go, like, that's what I love about the gospel. It meets people exactly where they are, mm. whether you were strung out on drugs and needed a, a different addiction, <laughs> mm. you know, or, or you are losing your business like in the gospel the message of it just alone brings stability that there is a god that's in control that will order your steps that's navigating this that knows all things that you can consult with that if you don't have the wisdom you can ask of him he'll give it to you mm-hmm. you know the these are the things that i know that create a faith a childlike faith that i can do anything because my father has my back yeah <laughs> i have young kids dude 2 and 4 they feel like they can they don't have a care in the world bro like even after they get in trouble, they're like, okay, great. Dad, can I have a snack? <laughs> like they know I'm going to provide for them. So like, as a, as a person, I mean, that inspires me. Like, like, dude, like your heavenly father is there for you always. He will never, you will never need a thing. Your dad will always make sure you have what you need. Yeah. He also simultaneously wants to work on your character. Yeah. So as much as he will always meet what you need, sometimes he will make you suffer through your wants. Yeah. To work through, can I trust you with this blessing? Yeah. You know, and I love my kids, but sometimes I have to discipline them, you yeah. know? So again, th- th- those are things that govern my compass, but this woman didn't know that dude. So in sharing that though, she's able to get up on her feet, bro. I help her. She's up on the second floor. Her suite is, she was down on the first floor in the back corner, help her walk upstairs, help her pack up, encouraging her the whole time walk her out to her car. It's about one o'clock in the morning, dude. Just giving her ideas, which, which shifts into the second. So that's the first story that I wanted to share. Yeah. And, and pardon me if I'm like, I'm, no, I'm doing my best to like, this awesome. I, I like, I'm talking, I love Malcolm Gladwell and yeah. he writes the way that I like orate. Yeah. So like, it's fun to read him. So, but you're going to need that information from that story in order to connect some dots. So the second story comes from the Bible and it's one of my favorite narratives, dude. It's 
where the the woman with the jars of oil and Elisha, he said, what do you want me to do? Mm. <laughs> he said, what do you have in your house? Mm. Oh my gosh, dude. What do you have in your house? Did you just hear what I said? I said, my husband died. Yeah. Uh, I said, my kids are about to get taken. I have huge debt. Um, where's the handouts? The, yeah. the Bible doesn't say that she said that, but like sometimes people express their story to the church expecting the handout. Yeah. But Elisha took her on a journey that not only met her present need, it changed the trajectory of her life. Hmm. He said, what do you have in your house, dude? Hmm, that's a good word. And she said, she said, uh, I have this little jar of oil. Yeah. <laughs> Elisha said, okay, great. What I want you to do is go door to door and ask your neighbors for jars. Hmm. And then I want you to gather as many. Don't get a, and he says it. He says, don't get a couple jars. Get a whole lot of jars. Yeah. And bro, like imagine this woman, like, like we're watching what faith looks like. We are watching a woman in trauma, still listening to the voice of God and exercising faith because for her to hear this instruction as a response to her chaos, hmm. she could be like, see, I told you that we've been tithing at your church all year. And when I tell you my story, you want to give me some instructions. What yeah. about like, like, and, and like from the outside looking in, she might be justified, you know, yeah. but I just really want to encourage people like her, re, her display of faith was how she responded to the, the call of faith. Her, this yeah. man is telling you to go door to door and just let's put, let's really step in her shoes, bro. This was a, if we assume the, the, the norm of that time is that like this woman was a stay at home wife. Her husband yeah. probably worked. Her husband handled the financial affairs. She handled the kids. The house order is very domesticated, right? <clears throat> so going door to door is not in her repertoire, right? Yeah. That's a skill, bro. Yeah. Men and women today would have a challenge going door to door, even sharing our faith. Hmm. Not even, not, not going door to door and trying to leave with somebody's vessels, bro. If somebody yeah. knocked on your door right now asking for a, a glass jar, bro, <laughs> you need you need a sales pitch. You can't yeah. like 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 some people might just give them. Like, can you yeah. see really like the yeah. like there are so many things that is being called out of this woman, but it was because I don't want to focus on your your right now chaos need because if I meet that one. And I don't change you during the process. When the next chaos happens, you're going to be right back here asking for another handout. But mm. I want to change the way you process life so that way you're able to weather the next chaos. Yeah. Right? Go door to door. I'm teaching you something. You're going to learn a skill set and you're going to learn how to be told no. You're going to learn how after being told no, how to shake the, shake the, the emotion off and be ready for the next door. How to sharpen your sales pitch after every, cause like you gotta keep delivering it in order to refine it. Like overcoming objections. After your first five houses, five people might've told you no for the same reason. So you kind of tweak your offer for the sixth and it works. And you're like, oh yeah, like 
can you imagine the self-discovery this woman would have had on that journey, right? Mm. Just following the instruction of God. She really didn't know how, because, well, I will say that uh, Elisha told her, then I want you to come back in the house. God will, like he's told her God would do a miracle, but she didn't, she had to have enough faith to endure that journey around her neighborhood where everybody knows she's in debt. Everybody mm. knows that the creditors are about to take her kids. Everybody knows that she's a widow now. And women of that time were already revered as less than in society's eyes. So now you're a widow and you're in debt, man. You're like, can you imagine people slamming the door in her face? Oh my gosh, get this. Like, oh my, bro. But I can imagine her staying persistent. Yeah. And I can imagine her learning that no is not the end of the world. Hmm. That people's opinion of you really doesn't dictate your life. You realize like, oh, uh, I'll never have to meet them again. That's fine, actually. I, I, I'm actually still <laughs> functioning. That wasn't as bad as I thought. All the way to where she gathered as many jars as she could, which I want, to, that's a teaching moment for, for people that are willing to answer that call. What's in your house? Hmm. You know, God will use what you already had. Like, it's almost like the miracle of the couple of fish and loaves of bread was God multiplying what they already had. Hmm. What you have correct is not enough. You're right about that. But when you put it in my hands, I can multiply it and feed 5,000, 20,000, however many thousand. Right. Right. So I think what I'm looking at the story of this woman, right? Like she had a little bit of oil. But God said, I need to expand your capacity because hmm. I can multiply the oil, but God is a businessman and he's shrewd and he does not like waste. Hmm. So I will pour you out a blessing, but you need to have vessels in order to catch it because I don't want to be pouring blessings on floors hmm. and in broken jars and you can't even contain what I pour out. Hmm. So let's go expand your capacity. The Bible continues and says that, dude, every, she took her little bit of oil and every jar that she had, she would pour. And the, the miracle was that it would just keep flowing oil and it would fill every vessel. And the Bible says, um, as soon as she called one of her sons, hey, sons, bring me another vessel. He said, hey, we ran out. She said, at that moment, the, the oil flow stopped. Hmm. The Bible then says, that with the oil now in these jars, she was able to pay off her debt and live on the rest. So now think about this, bro. Think about her mentality now. She went from a little bit of oil that was in her house, made some very like strange moves of faith that gave her a crazy amount of skill and confidence and watched God do a miracle. So her faith, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm watching God do this. You get excited when you watch God literally step up and change you. Like, hmm. like you see a miracle. And bro, there's another layer of this, bro. Her sons, dude, watched her mother, their mother react to chaos. Hmm. So you, this mother forever changed her son's life. We're talking legacy. Yeah. That's how God changes family trees is when you have 
her family tree got changed because she was willing to answer the call of what's in your house with faith. Yeah. Be- and God gave her a skill set that after the pandemic was over, after the debts were paid, she now had a business. Hmm. Like I got jars of oil that now I can go back door to door with my new skills yeah. and sell this oil. Yeah. Like now I know, man, like I could just rent jars and sell them and, and like I can go into business. So like, like there's so many business principles in that, but I like, there's so much that I take away from that story as well that I haven't even tell, I haven't, I gave you the story, the stories that fueled me. Yeah. I haven't even shared with you what I did with that fuel, bro. Yeah. So, cause just like that woman, she was out there like in the first story, what are we going to do? I'm in the same boat as her, mm-hmm. but we are responding differently hmm. because I read the second story first, what's in your house. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily know what God was going to do yet, but I realized like I've made some investments in this business. I got furniture here. Um, oh, and, and, and like the what's in your house, me and my wife built a house from the ground up, dude. We were blessed, man, in 2017. But we were instructed, it's wise to leave the basement unfinished for the first year or so. Let mm-hmm. it settle. So that way, like, you don't finish a basement and realize there's a crack in the wall. And you have, like, so last year, we started finishing our basement. But I was doing so much with the business that projects were kind of on hold. We were about like 60% done. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's all framed and like most of the drywalls up, electricity's ran, you know, plumbing is began, but it still needs that finishing touch. Some of the floors laid, but when God asks me, what's in your house? Oh shoot. I got about a thousand square feet of unfinished basement that is functional yeah. that I can, that what I ended up doing, dude, and I, oh man, this is so beautiful. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm unpacking this for the first time on your podcast. So you're witnessing history right now. There you okay? go. <laughs> um, because it's all coming together, dude. So what's in your house is unfinished basement. My salon, I've been using the word salon, but what, let me just pause and speak about that a bit. Cause that will help you understand why I pivoted my basement the way I did. So I own a salon. It's called Venus and Mars. Mm-hmm. It's an experience for men and women that is just out of this world. Okay. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was service the like entrepreneur, that solopreneur, that salesperson, that realtor, that person who under that influence through on social media. Like I realized my image is important. You mm-hmm. know, my image drives sales, the way I look, the way my hair is maintained, the way my wardrobe is put together. Um, the way my social media comes together with my website, like just full 360 digital presence is tight. So I'm servicing this solo entrepreneur, this individual who realizes my image is important, but I don't have the time to focus on it or I don't really have the skill set. So it would take a lot to really learn how to do social media. Maybe I'm 40, 50 and I've built something really not needing social media, but I do realize if I'm a, this pandemic has shown me, like I'm going to need an online presence, but I either don't have like in-house a team big enough, that's creative enough, that can move fast enough to really get 
not only my personal image, the way I do my hair, my style, maybe because a lot of pastors do like in the blink of an eye had to go from on stage to online. Hmm. And if they weren't doing online before, yeah. oh my, like Greg Ford in one church, they had already been doing live every weekend. So they were able to lean into it with momentum. Yeah. But for a lot of pastors, it was like, I don't even have a Facebook page <laughs> for my church. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And had a, and it might've had 150, 200 members. Like that's the yeah. average church, at least yeah. in the U S 80% of churches have about a hundred to 200. Right. So like, like you literally now don't have, how do you quickly access your sheep in a digital yeah. realm? You know? Um, and now like, they, like to help them part, like to partner with this person in that, in that type of an experience, yeah. that's what Venus and Mars was positioned for. Mm -hmm. To be a one-stop kind of full image resource that addressed personal needs and then how those needs were translated digitally and yeah. also support in content creation, um, like building out the social arenas and then the content that gets distributed on them. Um, so like what ended up happening though, like I just, I, f I have to give you the whole story or else it just doesn't make sense. It's good. Prior to me opening up this experience, in my past life, I led a team of cybercrime investigators, bro. Interesting. So I don't know if the name Bernie Madoff rings a bell. There you go. But he single-handedly gave me a career in fraud. I was working for <laughs> JP. I was working for JP Morgan Chase out of my 20s. Yeah. Um, the college thing didn't work for me. You know, I got caught up in the drugs. Like I said, the, the lifestyle, my mother so desire for me to not fall into finally caught up with me when I had the freedom to do whatever I want when I went off to college. Yeah. But I didn't finish college. I'm back home, you know, fell flat on my face, kind of discouraged. Not, I had no faith experiences at this point. I'm making music back then. I was signed to a local, it was more of a like regional label. So I kind of had that thing going. So it was easy to give up college. So I get a job in collections you know, I was that guy calling, you know, making regular money, you know, yeah. lower, lower middle class money. I do that at JP Morgan Chase. It's 2012. The, 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 uh, that recession that happened in 08 has finally like settled and a lot of the ramifications of the settling happened. And everybody on the tail end of that pandemic wanted to start removing money from their accounts. That's how Bernie Madoff got smoked out. Yeah. You know, everybody was asking for money and he had to come clean. Like, yeah, is a like, <laughs> I know I've been sending you financial reports for 20 years showing you how your accounts are growing, but I've been using that money elsewhere, bro. Yeah. It was big. And JP Morgan Chase was hit with a $2.3 billion fine hmm. because he was using JP Morgan Chase accounts to facilitate this. And it was unknowing to J.P. Morgan Chase. They just didn't have the right protocols in place to make sure that that didn't happen, like yeah. to like spot that type of stuff. It was a blind spot. And I was one of 15 people hand selected to build a team from the ground up to make sure Bernie Madoff's didn't happen again. Hmm. So. So that's so if remember, remember the story that I told you about in the Bible, the woman was called to do something that was yeah. seemingly like, that's not in my skill set. I had no fraud experience and everybody else on my team, bro, had like criminal justice degrees, 
um, former military policemen, like law degrees. And I'm in here with no degree. <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking about God putting me in places beyond my understanding. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the hand in favor of God. Cause at that point, I, like I said, that was at 22. I had a life changing Paul saw Paul conversion moment when I was 20 years old hmm. on the heels of falling out of college. I fell flat on my face, dude. Like my mother, because now I had to move back in with my mom, but I had all those bad habits now. Hmm. So I'm bringing to her house, no good guys, traffic, 3 a.m. in the morning, smelling like weed, promethazine. Only so far a woman can parent a man. Hmm. And never having that male presence, I was just too strong for my mother. I was, you know, and so she kicked me out. So now I'm living in a worse area in Columbus. I already grew up in a, I'm living in a worser area than when I grew up. Yeah. And like, I mean, house getting in broken into, car getting broken into. There was a gentleman that my first job coming back from uh, college when I dropped out, he was in my training class. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm what I thought was a man's man at that point. I can mm -hmm. get any woman I want. I go to the clubs. I get in for free. I'm performing. You yeah. know, I, that was my lifestyle. Yeah. So I was kind of like the guy in the world that everybody still wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And like, but this dude in my training class, he was super cool. But like, he would never like get into the conversation with us when I would bring up girls. He would always, I thought he might've been gay or something, Yeah. but he just was different. His lifestyle clearly was different, but I didn't know why Yeah. until he, we were in training class together, six, seven, nine months down the road, we sit next to each other at work. Simultaneously in the background, God is doing some things in my life that made me ready for sitting next to this dude. Hmm. Because remember I said, I got kicked out. My sister, my older sister had already moved out. So I made a pit stop at like living with her. The house that my sister lived into, no lie, dude, was literally right across the street from my girlfriend's church. Hmm. So after she, my girlfriend would stay the night on a Saturday and be like, yeah, I'm going to church. On to, like when she woke up on Sunday after standing out of my house, yeah. Yeah, I'm about to go to church. It's right over there. It's right across the street. I was like, okay, I'll go with you. You know, yeah. I didn't really have context for what church was. I thought it was big network event i'm 20 so i know i'm trying to right. make opportunity i'm i'm like i mean i've heard of church i've been to church i'm smoking weed on the way and i go to the balcony you know if i'm gonna meet the most high i might as well be high yeah so uh I, and dude bro the word of god met me dude hmm. like where i mean it spoke my language dude where i mean went up there got i mean over a couple times of going back i ran up there who wants to get a life to jesus i ran to the front man i'm like speaking in tongues, like, man, what's yeah. that? Like, I, but I'm still like, I'm from the hood, man. I don't really know what's happening. This literally is God himself speaking my language, bro. And um, so then I buy a John MacArthur study Bible and mm -hmm. I start bringing it to work and I start having it on my desk. And that dude who I sat next to, he's like, hey man, what you know about that? And he's my age. Yeah. Like, what you know about that? And like, I'm reading, cause I love to read. So I'm reading something like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's the Bible, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just catching, you know, I'm so I'm trying to be all smooth. I thought right. I was smooth. And he's challenged me though. He's hit me with scriptures that really making me think, like, because he's watching my lifestyle. The music I was making at the time did not suggest that I had any type of faith or commitment to the message of God. Because hmm. it was very, 
sex this, drugs that, in the club with this, blah, blah, blah. Sprinkled in with like inspiration, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, no, no. He said, you know, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Hmm. Like scriptures that are in the Bible that, but we don't, they, you don't really, they don't, they don't draw a crowd. Yeah. They separate a crowd. Yeah. You know, the parts of the Bible that like remind you of John six, where Jesus had this big crowd and said, you know what, let's separate the crowd. If you, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Hmm. Everybody left <laughs> except 12, except yeah. those who respond with, where are we going to go? You got the words of eternal life. I believe that like, I, like the Bible is truth. So if it's something that goes against with my lifestyle, the way I'm thinking or very early, because I wanted to be very, I was sincere, dude, like with faith, if I was going to be able to say that faith was a hoax, God ain't real. I had to give it everything it required. You know, if I buy a shampoo from the store or some medicine from a doctor, and I don't follow the instructions that come with the manual, I can't then say that the product doesn't work mm. because I didn't use it as prescribed. Right. God has a prescribed lifestyle, prescribed decisions that constitute the blessings that I'm talking about. Yeah, so you can't say faith doesn't work, tithing doesn't work, um, God doesn't bless if you don't do things that you know, first seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be at, like even for, don't even just come to me because you need something. Like let's, we got to change all that. I knew like, I felt that early. So I was trying to be sincere. So when he was hitting me with these scriptures, I was like, my lifestyle don't match that. Hmm. I ha so let me tell you, literally, this was a 24 hour span that I'm about to spit, share it with you in 24 hours. This was when Twitter was just now popping, dude. So it's like 2010. And I was a, back then, the trending topics on Twitter used to be on the landing homepage with hashtags. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the origin, hashtag. Right. And I, Trace Carter, was a trending topic on Twitter one day. Just because mm -hmm. we had released a song, it got played on the radio. I mean, it was a big deal. And I'm on Twitter sitting at work next to the dude, because we're in collections, you know, if you yeah. don't got calls. So I'm sharing this moment with him, like, look at the girls hit me up, blah, blah. Right. I'm, you know. And, he, and that's the beautiful thing about him. If I could just share this, bro, about his witness, bro, that really helped me is this dude's life preached what the gospel is so that when I heard the gospel, his life validated it. Hmm. Like, oh, shoot, that makes sense because I see it in him. Hmm. That's what Paul was saying when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Hmm. Because as other people are hearing the message of God, they need templates. Yeah. They want to see people in like God's ideas that it would start in a family where the mother and the father were the first ones to demonstrate that. And it's a godly relate. Like that's why the, that's why the, the enemy attacks family so much because that transfer happens there, but people are looking for that. So my guy was that he lived the gospel. So that way when I'm at home by myself and it's like, if a man, what, if a man looks at a woman, with lust thoughts, he's already committed adultery. Can't no man really be out here really fighting for that. This, uh, like, I had a reference. Like, that's why when I talk about it, he's like, nah, bro, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go give me something to drink. And he was mm -hmm. never disrespectful. It was never, he never even said, yo, y'all need to stop talking about that because the Bible says yeah. he never did that, bro, until the right moment. He really waited on God and he was a 
he was an instrument. Like, hmm. so to, to cut all the way back into the story, because now I have this Bible. He's challenging me. The trending, to- the trending topic is happening. And all of this is converging in my mind at this moment to where I'm fed up. Because what I clearly, what I'm realizing is the Bible as like the, the standard that God is calling me to, my lifestyle is contradicting that. And I had reached a point where I have to give up one of them because I'm not fake. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, that's one thing about Paul. Paul was very sincere. Mm-hmm. He was just sincere about the wrong thing. But yeah. the moment he got the truth, his sincerity shifted. Yeah. So that lifestyle of getting as many women as I thought, club life, fast money, like I thought that that was the best life Yeah. until I found like, yo, this life is better. So like 24 hours began with this. My girlfriend that day, let me also share this. The day I got baptized, ran up to the front at her church after that service. I'm in her house, bro. Like, oh my God, can we? I got to save yo. This is crazy. And hurry. And she's sitting there kind of like straight face. And I was like, yo, you're not excited? Bro, her words were, well, you know, I, I've kind of already been there, done that. That feeling you've had, I've had it before, but it will wear off. And mm. like, I'm like, so we're talking about look at, look at how my faith could have been derailed. Hmm. Like this girl I was dating was the, was a girl who goes to church, but has some way like settled into this very compromised lifestyle. And second Peter three becomes more alive. That whole, you know, um, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, you know, Hmm. like that's a lifestyle that she embraced. So she kind of was already quenching my mojo anyway, but like now I'm a trending topic and she's texting me now because the way I'm responding to certain females is a little flirtatious. I was like, you know what? I, I literally slide back from the chair. I go downstairs like swiftly. Marlo's looking like, that's my friend's name, Marlo. He's like, I go downstairs. I call my girl. I said, hey, this is exactly what I said, bro. Hey, um, we can't be together because God said so. Hmm. So I'm going to like, you have a few sweaters and t-shirts of mine that I want to come get. So I'll come by and get them on Saturday. Okay. All right. It was not even a discussion, bro. (laughs) It literally was that. And what I realized is like, you know, when you go to the store and you buy balloons, like the ones with helium in it, it has that little weight at the bottom Mm -hmm. to like, keep it like at a level. Like God was showing me that a lot of the lifestyle things that I had in place including the girl I was dating was that weight to a balloon that he was trying to take higher. Mm. So I had to cut, I had to cut the weight, had to cut weights. You know, that's what, you know, I had to get rid of this weight, the sin that so easy, easily ensnares me. Right. So once I did that, bro, I was, I was bold, bro. I literally went back to my desk in that moment, literally. And I deleted my Twitter account, deactivated it. Like, you know how now you can like pause it for 30 days. Yeah. Back then it was like deleted all the history. And like my dude, Marlo is sitting next to me. Like I went, I logged into Facebook and I deleted it. It's, it was an evening. So the next morning I call Verizon and I cancel my phone line and I go buy a little prepaid phone. Like didn't transfer any numbers. Hmm. Didn't, didn't keep any numbers. 
I literally start calling like other women that I had in my arsenal. And I said, hey, what are we? Hey, actually, it's over. It's over. It's over. I'm going one by one, bro. While this is all while I'm living inside of the CEO's house of this company that I'm signed to. Hmm. So the music that I'm making, the lifestyle, there's parties going on downstairs, 10, 15 (laughs) girls. I'm upstairs in my nine by 11 room. Like, hey, it's over. Verizon, cancel my phone. My my bill was too expensive anyway. And I got a $30. I canceled my internet. I canceled my cable. And literally, bro, I'm dead serious. From that moment on, this was all cold turkey. The only, my mother didn't even know where I was. Hmm. I literally did absolutely nothing from October of 2010 till about May of 2011 when I moved in with Marlo. Hmm. So for six months, I still lived but I did nothing but go home. I, was, I went, go to, go to work, come home and read the Bible. Hmm. Go home, read the Bible. Go to work, come home, read the Bible. Go in the staircase at work and journal. Uh, come home, read the Bible. Wake up, listen to worship music. Like literally, I used to literally, bro, I would wake up out of my sleep with my hands up, bro, and press play on music. I was so engulfed in like this newfound faith because forgiveness and being accepted for who I was was so far from my, I'm also like a three on the Enneagram and a two mm-hmm. wing. So like the need to be loved for who I am. So even my lifestyle for the first 20 years of my life before I found God was very performance driven. You know, I was all Ohio in track and field. You know, I was all like McDonald's, all American and academics on honor roll. You know, I was so like that gave me value. Mm-hmm. So when I fell from a cliff, and from society standards was just another statistic. This another black man is going to be dead before 25. Hooray. Mm. He's dr- on drugs. He's in the hood. It's just go ahead. And the timer's on. Mm. My value, I struggled with that. So when I realized that there's a God who owns all things, who not only loves me, but was very, very intentional with my design. He knows exactly who I am and what he had in mind when he made me. He knows what projects he designed me for. I'm a tool in his hand that if I pursue him, he would help me unlock not only who I am, but who I should be connected with, what opportunities I should seize. I was all in, bro. Hmm. All in, bro. I, I, everybody was getting the gospel back then, bro. I was zeal. I was the epitome of zeal without wisdom. The proverb <laughs> says zeal without wisdom is not good. Every conversation on elevators, I'm getting you the gospel because I was so radically changed by it. I was the over aggressive Bible thumping. You might go to hell, bro. If you keep doing this person, are you okay going to hell doing that? Right. Looking back, I cringe, but, but that was the start of it. So let me fast, let me get you back into the story because that's that revelation about who God was at 20 in Mm -hmm. my life prompted me now at 25 where I, I had been cutting hair on and off since I've been 10 years old. My mother had bought me a pair of clippers when I was 10 years old because I wanted a haircut every day, but she couldn't afford me to get it every day. So she bought me a pair of clippers and I learned how to cut hair by cutting my own. Mm-hmm. I was cutting all my friends in the neighborhood on her porch by 12, hmm. but I never saw that as a career path because in my environment, dude, entrepreneurship was not celebrated. You know, it wasn't even like, no, I had no relatives that started businesses. Everybody went and found the best job they could. 
They stay with that business as long as they could. They retired and they got a gold watch and a pension maybe, Yeah, you know? So like I lived, I just kind of had my head down flowing in that, but I felt this rebel spirit, you know, this rebellious spirit that played out in drugs and women and alcohol. But it was just a, it was this feeling of, I don't fit in this mold I'm being forced into. And what I realized, it was like, God had designed me to be a square peg, but I was being forced into a circular hole Hmm. and being told you don't have value because you don't fit this. But when I realized that you don't dictate my value, that Hmm. only God alone dictates my value. Before Jesus did any miracles, any miracles, he was baptized. God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hmm. He ain't did nothing yet except be obedient to his father. Hmm. He didn't. Pref- so God's vow, like my, when I realized my value in God had nothing to do with what I did, it just was who I was. He, I'm his son. You got kids, bro. No matter what your kids do, that will never take away their last name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like these are my kids. So like when I was 25, I had worked at JP Morgan Chase, built this team, crazy favor. I'm at like making money now. You know, I got married. I met my wife. I got headhunted and I built a similar type of financial intelligence unit with Discover Bank because now the, all the scrutiny that was on JP Morgan Chase started to flow out to other business, like to other uh, banks. So other banks were like, oh, we need to build these teams like fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's already done it? JP Morgan Chase was first. Let's headhunt to rail. So I was brought in to build another team similar at Discover. And it was stuff that I was good at, bro. And like by 25, I'm making six figures. Yeah. Like I'm being transparent because with no college degree, with no like fraud background, really no aspiration to do it, just like skillful. I can pick up anything and like read it. I see you do it a couple of times and I'm pretty proficient in about yeah. anything. <laughs> so like a struggle for me in life, having that, that's a double-edged sword because people applaud me like, oh my God, you're like a Renaissance man. You can do, but there are a lot of things that I can do, but I'd have to wrestle with, am I called to do it? Hmm. And am I designed to do it? Because as much as I can take a ruler and knock a nail into the wall, the ruler wasn't designed to do it. Mm-hmm. So even though it can do it, it might be damaging it in the process. Yeah. So for me, realizing that I'm a tool that God designed, he knows what projects I need to be on. He will know how to use me in such a way where you get the max usage and you pr- I'm designed for that. So I won't be damaging myself. Yeah. You know, a, a ruler that's being used to, to knock in nails will be dead soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I realized like while I was still young, I was married. I hadn't had kids yet. Um, my mother was still alive when I made this decision, right? So this is why all of this, the timing, because I see a lot of these moments in my life, very similar to the, what do you have in your house? The hmm. woman with the jars of oil, God has been preaching that message to me in different moments. When my mother's alive, I'm realized I don't want to build my life around a job that, yeah, I'm looking forward to the weekend too much. I want to wake hmm. up every day and love what I do. And as much as I'm good at what I do, I know a lot about what I do. I don't love it. I'm a glorified snitch. All I do is tell the FBI who, how people are using their money. <laughs> like, uh, like, so I don't really, I didn't find any, anything in that. But again, what do you have in your house? I had been cutting hair for, at this point, 
I'm 25, almost 15 years. Yeah. I'm good at it. I, I'm good at it. There are certain clients that I've had the whole time just as pocket money. But like I said, never saw it as a career. It always was like a side hustle. But it was like, oh, shoot. Okay, let's make that legitimate. So I decided to go back to hair school. I already knew how to cut hair. So I didn't want to go to barber school. If I was going to pay 20000 I need to learn a new skill. Yeah. So I went to cosmetology school and learned how to service women. Mm-hmm. But I'm also this high capacity professional during the day. I went, so I'm going to, I'm working 50 hours a week at Discover and would literally leave my office at Discover, call my wife on a 45 minute drive from New Albany, the richest part in our town, to Canal Winchester to go to school and, and say hello to her uh, and then show up for school for three, four more hours and I'll get home at 9 p.m. Oof. Like, I, I was in school for three years, bro. Hmm. And six months into starting school, I said my mother died in my arms, bro. I literally watched her take her next breath as, as colon cancer had eaten through her whole body. And she's laying on a bed swollen because her body can't even process her inner toxins now. So she, hmm. li- I watched her die from the inside out, bro. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm the only man in the room, bro who really is pioneering faith and my family's watching me now my family oh my gosh bro oh my gosh bro let me insert another biblical narrative just because i hope that this is appropriate in daniel 3 remember we talked about second peter earlier about fiery trials real gold doesn't fear fire Mm -hmm. that's my mantra a story where that is displayed is in daniel 3 where those three hebrew boys were thrown into the fire by King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you Hmm. remember that narrative? For sure. Bro, just for standing up and being who they were, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, y'all not going to bow to my stuff? We turning up the furnace seven times hotter. Shadrach and Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already determined in their mind, I'm ready to die. Because they said on the front end, like, listen, I mean, God can protect us, but even if he doesn't, we not bowing to your... (laughs) Yeah. We ready to die yeah. for who we say we are. Bro, put, your, put yourself in any one of those three boys' shoes. Because they, those boys being thrown into the fire, they saw the soldiers, because the Bible says that the, two, the soldiers that threw them in, the furnace was so hot that those soldiers died. So they watched the soldiers throw them in there die. Yeah. But they're in there like, uh, hey, are y'all hurting? Y'all, do y'all feel anything? Because I don't feel nothing. I, it doesn't even smell like fire in here. And what's happening on the outside? Nebuchadnezzar and his royal assembly is looking at three followers of God in a fire. Mm-hmm. And that's another nuance of why God allows his children to go through fire because of the impact it has on the people watching you go through the fire. Hmm. Nebuchadnezzar says, hold up. Didn't we throw three people in there? I see a fourth one. Yeah. And he looks like a son of God. Hey, get them out of there. Hold on. Get them out. Hey, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, come out of there. Bro. So Shadmat, uh, there's amazement all the way around the room because Shadrach, yeah. Meshach, and them, they cannot believe what just happened. Oh my, I don't, the Bible doesn't say that they saw the fourth figure it says nebuchadnezzar did Hmm. 
So it was somebody else's observation that God was in that with you that even helped you maybe contextualize like, oh, shoot, God did protect me in that fire. Yeah. They said they saw a fourth man. That was our God. They probably, bro, that probably changed the trajectory of their faith, right? So, but Nebuchadnezzar's view of it, dude, and I'll get back to how my family was Nebuchadnezzar, where they are watching Terrell Carter, who says he's all this God stuff, blah, blah, blah. But real, but fire proves your faith. Hmm. It shows you who you really are. This pandemic has shown, do you really have a relationship with God? Or was all those Sundays going to church just for an external facade? Hmm. Like, have you really got on your knees and said, God, I don't know what the heck is going on. Like, but uh, you say that if your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray, seek your face, turn from the wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven, heal their land and, and, and like change these things. That's my life right now, God. And so yeah. <laughs> like fire has ability to do that. And Nebuchadnezzar, after they came out, he said, I mean, he said a lot of stuff, all dignitary stuff, but the part I want to make sure you get is at the end, he said, there's no other God that can save like yours. Hmm. This heathen king has just given our God the highest exaltation around protecting those that are his in an age where there's a plethora of gods. So like this king acknowledges amidst his entire, everybody got different gods that they're worshiping, but he says no other God protects like this one. My family's looking at a son who's losing his mother. I'm the only one in the hospital that's holding my mother. I'm in a room full of 30 people that they hear, they hear the, the heartbeat, yeah. but I'm the only one holding my mother. Everybody's watching me and, and how I'm navigating, how I'm responding to the fire, because the way that I respond in the fire gives as much glory to the protective God that's in the fire with me hmm. for all of the Nebuchadnezzars to on the other side of me coming out of it. We're coming out of this, bro. Yeah. Every fire we real gold. That's why real gold doesn't fear fire yeah. because I know I'm coming out on the other side. I may come out with stuff that wasn't, it was an impurity that got burnt off me, right. but I'm going to make it out. But the people that are watching me in the fire need to see a God who is able to keep, keep me calm in the chaos. When that boy has every right to be burst out in tears, what is this peace within him? That's when I'm able to stand up. He is my prince of peace. Because hmm. it, it, hits, it hits differently when a, when a preacher is reading it on Sunday. He is your peace. But no, no, no. What, what about I'm sitting in a room holding my dead mother yeah. with a smile on my face with a, with a tear of joy because the night before I was able to witness to my mother hmm. and bring her into the faith. And like, so I knew, I know what that transition was on the other side. That's good. So that motivates differently. So everybody's like attracted to why is Terrell so calm? I had to preach the eulogy at my mother's funeral, bro. Mm -hmm. I have friends from high school I ain't seen in 10 years show up to my mom's funeral. And I'm literally delivering the gospel, bro. Look at mm -hmm. how God will use a fiery moment. And to this day, my, that was still five years ago, right? I was in school. That happened six months into me starting school. I was in school another two and a half years. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. I was married during that time where 
you know, I learned a lot about that. <laughs> I, when I finished school, December of 2017, finally finished school. I'm married. I have a two, three-year-old daughter. My mother's gone. I had lost my grandma during that time as well. And um, my, mu- my wife is eight months pregnant. Mm. I took my graduation photo from hair school with my baby girl and my pregnant wife holding my plaque. And the next month, January, she delivered our son. The next month, February, I started Venus and Mars. Wow. And at the time, I was still working full time at Discover. I was I I had morphed into a corporate training position where I was 100 percent remote. Mm-hmm. I traveled around the U.S. and delivered training to other like fraud professionals as like new hires. You know, I was the front door. That's that's what I realized that this journey I've been on was showing me who I really am, because in the corporate arena, I needed it to develop professional skills. The way I talk, I had to present like I would have very like senior vice presidents come into my room. Hey, Terrell. Uh, there's been a law change and I need a presentation by this Friday for me to present to the C-suite. But so I was the one designing training decks for that caliber of presentation, you know, and delivering training at that level. But I needed those skills because now when it was time to pivot and I was going to build my own thing, like I was able to, like, I didn't go to business school, but I have very Fortune 500 applicable skills of building teams from the ground up at two different institutions for, at this point, it had been about five years. So on paper, I'm equal. I don't care where you went and got your degree. <laughs> you know, I done <laughs> did it. I did it. Like at a, I'm talking about, we're talking about one of the highly, one of the most scrutinized industries, the banking industry. I had to build financial intelligence units that reported to the FBI and, you know, governors and, and like the propensity to be read in the court of law. And because yeah. as they as they track down Bernie Madoff's and and uncover human trafficking rings, their financial patterns are oftentimes what triggered like attention towards them. Those that's what I was finding. That's yeah. what was my skill set. Let's do this. Let's, uh, why don't you pray for the audience and then you and I will set up via your wife. We'll set up another time and we'll, we'll break Part down two. a little bit more and go from there. Do you pray for the yeah. audience today? I sure will, bro. I sure will. Um, Heavenly Father, first and foremost, before I ask anything of you, I just want to acknowledge how great you are, how perfect you are, how compassionate you are, how like it's not even close. You have no rival. You have no equal. You have no comparison. There's no one like you. And you made a cognitive decision to design us like intricately. You don't mass produce us, God. You like no person even shares my fingerprint. You one of one designs that you have one of one propositions and plans for. And the fact that you do that with all of our inefficiencies, our deficiencies, the sin that is within us, the, the disgrace that we bring to your name, even as Christ followers, even as we strive to, to reach this calling that your word commands us to, we fall short. But yet and still, you are the God of our gaps. You are the Lord of our limitations. And we appreciate you so much. What I, what I ask for, God, is that you would help every person at the sound of my voice uh, encourage their faith, 
remind them that you are a loving father, that you will never allow us to be under a burden we can't carry with your support, with you in that fire with us. Help us to know that this fiery season we may be in is refining us and it's purifying us because you care about not us amassing the wealth and opening the businesses and opening the churches even. You care about our individual character. You care about our individual relationship with you. And if there's anything that compromises that or can be a compromise to that, you being an all-wise God will make pivots and make sure that you get our attention and recalibrate us and refocus us. So I just pray, God, that whatever time, uh, whatever timing you have for the people that are on this, on, listening to this podcast, uh, that you would give them a sense of peace and patience during that time, uh, because it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you, <laughs> you are a wise teacher. So as you lay out a syllabus, some things that we have to study and go through may not make sense to us, God, but you know what's on the year end test. You know what's coming 5, 10, 15 years from now. So help us to just be so sensitive to what you're doing through your spirit right now to maximize the time you're giving us, knowing that it's preparing something that you will unveil at a future date. Uh, we love you, God. We trust you. I pray for this podcast. I pray for Aaron and, and everyone that supports him. I pray that you will continue to expand his audience. I pray that you will continue to refine his processes that make it more efficient for him to reach millions of people through what he already has in his house. Uh, God, you are amazing. We trust you. and We look forward to the testimonies that are springing up worldwide. We pray all of this and count it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 